Uh, if you're at home, uh, if you're using the Bible in the pew, this is on page 874. Uh, but it will also have the passages up on the screen, so you can utilize that as well. Um, I am a big story person. I've always really loved movies. I love reading fiction. I typically, I used to keep track, I don't really anymore, but I used to read like at the minimum between 40 and 50 books a year, and over half of them were usually fiction. Uh, I feel like I need to say, but a lot of them I'm studying, I'm, you know, doing the pastor thing. So. But I read a lot of fiction, and so I've always read a lot of fiction. I like a lot of movies, different series that really have a strong, deep narrative. I've always love to enter stories like that. I really get excited about them. Anybody that's been around me that got me talking about movies knows I can nerd out and just talk for a really long time about it. Um, when I was in high school, I remember, you know, in our youth group, I knew I wanted to be a youth pastor and I would teach at our youth group sometimes. And whenever my friends and I would go to a movie, we would leave the movie and they would say, well, how are you going to bring that into a youth group talk? Because I would always like talk about how the movie is connected to faith and things like that. So I love story. And there's probably, you might not have that same love that I do for those type of a things, but there's probably been a novel or a movie or a show, some story that you connected with on a deeper level other than, well, that was entertaining. I'm not talking about that show, book, or movie that was, oh, that was really fun, that was exciting, great action. I'm talking about the one that hits you here. The one that you just kind of, you don't leave the theater right away when it's over. You kind of sit there and think about it for a little bit. Maybe you're thinking about it a little bit more a couple days later. And maybe it's super inspiring, maybe it's moving, maybe it's convicting, but there's those stories we connect to on a deeper level. Do you have a story like that? I mean, we kind of have those type of connections. We've been in this series for the last six weeks on the parables of Jesus, the stories of Jesus. And the story we're going to look at today is one of the more popular ones, and it's a story like what I'm describing. I mean, somebody could have nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Jesus, could care less about the Bible, and they've probably heard this story or one form or fashion of it and maybe even connected with it at a deeper level. And so to me, this is just a powerful, powerful, beautiful, and deep story. But I want us to see it a little bit different today. And so we're going to look at this story in John, Luke 15, and it starts in verse 11. Verse 11 says, And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And so Jesus is telling a story about part of a family. It isn't to say that there's not a mother. It isn't to say there's not any daughters. It doesn't say that there might not be any other sons. It's just saying that for this particular story, he's focusing on this father who had two sons. And we typically call this story the story of the prodigal son. And really, that's a bit unfortunate title. Because this is really a story about all three people. In fact, that's how I want to approach it today. A story of three stories. And you're going to find yourself, I hope, in at least one of these. And at least one of these, I hope, hits you here. And just moves you and lets you see the reality of who God is and who we are with him. And so before we jump into that, let's pray and ask God to speak to us. God, you are good. You are the perfect Father. We are grateful for your presence. We are grateful for the fact, even thinking about music that we sang this morning, God, just the God that you are, uh, that you pursue us, you run to us, God, and that we can run to you. 
God, I pray that you would be the one speaking this morning. You know the different things that we have going on, the busyness of this season with school and work and the changing of the seasons and other things that we carry. There's just so much that we bring in here with us. And so I pray, God, that you would penetrate those things and let us hear from you. That you would speak in a powerful way. That you would be the one speaking and that we would have ears to hear what you have to say. We're just so grateful for your presence. We're grateful for your love. God, I pray that you would move us this morning. In your name, amen. And so this story of three stories. The first story here is the story of the fleeing son. The story of the fleeing son. It starts in verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between them, between the two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, this request that this son is making here would have been completely unheard of. It it was very common for fathers to take their property, take the land, take all that they had, and give that as an inheritance to their sons. That was very common, to divide it up amongst the oldest getting this portion, then the others. That was very common. But that happened at the end of their life. That happened when they were toward the end of their life. That, That was split up then. A child demanding that it would happen before that time? This was the epitome of disrespectful, dishonorable behavior. Because what is he basically saying to his dad is, you know, I kind of wish you were dead so I can have my stuff. But even worse, after he makes this claim and the father gives it to him, it says the younger one gathered all he had, which is in essence him saying that he took this land, this property that the father gave him, and sold it to someone else to be able to have money to go on his journey with. So not only does he do this, ruining any future security he has for the long-term reality of his life, but now he's taken a large chunk of the family land that his father is still existing on and has sold it to a complete stranger. Their family doesn't have it anymore. Again, this is unheard of. And somebody reading it from the first time from that culture would have been aghast at this entire situation. He sold all of it. He took it on his journey where he squandered his property in reckless living, frivolous living, immoral living, just for the moment type of a thing. It says in verse 14, when the younger son had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was, the son was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Now in the story of the fleeing son, I want you to make sure you realize how it begins and how it ends, is that it begins with him saying, Father, give me this. And it ends with no one would give him anything. The life he wanted and invested everything in was great for a while. It was probably a lot of fun. But reckless living has a nearsighted perspective. It looks really good today. It looks awesome today. It's a thrill today. 
But because it's nearsighted, all of the tomorrows and all of what could happen and the consequences and ramifications of today's decisions are really blurry. When you're nearsighted, you can't see what's far away. And a nearsighted perspective is he can only see today and he's not seeing or considering, even trying to think about the future, his future reality. The result of his decisions, though, his immaturity, his irresponsibility, his self-centeredness is that he had nothing. He went from being incredibly wealthy to being homeless, to being a hired hand feeding pigs, which for a Jewish person, to go and work for a non-Jewish person, to be feeding pigs, pigs were the most unclean of animals to them. That they are to be nothing to do with, not to be around. And here, the only hope he has for survival is to be feeding pigs. And then even worse, he just wants to eat the pig slop so he can continue on. One scholar put it this way, the young man has sunk to the lowest possible state, working for a Gentile, tending pigs, and longing to eat the pig slop. Here's the thing about the story of the fleeing son is that the younger son is a picture of humanity's default. It's an image of humanity's reality. Give me mine. Let me do whatever I want. You can't tell me what to do. How my actions might affect me later or others. This is humanity's default. We are all eternal junior hires, whether we want to admit it or not. The younger son is all of us. We flee from the father and we go as far as we can go. Sure, we may not come across as belligerent about it. We might not even try to be disrespectful about it. However, the do it on my own, apart from God attitude, the do whatever I want, regardless of the Lord motivation, this is how our world, how we by default think. And this is what creates the despondent, lost lifestyle that the son found himself in. The story of the fleeing son is our spiritual heritage. The story of the fleeing son is our spiritual story. We may have all of this life's desired successes. We may have all the funds. We might have all the stuff. We may have the house, the job title, or anything else that we search for or crave after. But none of those things can do anything for us, for our souls. They can't do anything for who we are at the depth of our being. And apart from the Father, apart from God, just like this Son, we are spiritually lost. We are spiritually broken and we're hopeless. It's, this is more of an issue. This is more serious than I just did this one thing really bad in my life that I need to make amends of. I made this one horrible decision that I need to apologize for. Something, this is beyond just a one-time thing to the state of our souls. Scripture says in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his or her own way. Romans 5 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Ephesians 2 says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. 
Apart from God, this is who we are. Apart from the Father, we are the fleeing son. Again, we might not, and here's the thing about the fleeing son. He had this need. He was in this state of hopelessness even before he realized it. He might have had been having fun for a while. It might have been great for a while, but he was broken and lost while it was, while it was really fun. It just took him to be in a place of need where he finally realized it. And that's where we're at. That's who we are apart from the Father. We may not realize it because things are going really great or we're successful, but in the quiet moments, we know. Because in the quiet moments when we really think about it, even in the good times, there's still something missing. And even with the successes, there's still something not there. When we are faced with our mortality, when we're faced with loss, or really difficult situations, we know the reality that something's not as it should be. I mean, if the first year of COVID life showed the world anything, it's that the tangible things that people put their hope and trust in do not produce hope or anything to be trusted in. And so we are the fleeing son. The story of the fleeing son is all of our stories. And we need to realize that. But we, can't, we don't need to realize that apart for the second story. And thank God for the second story. Because the second story is the story of the running father. The story of the running father. It says in verse 17, But when the son came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. It says when he comes to his senses, when he starts thinking beyond the frivolous and the reckless, when he starts thinking beyond the moment, when he realizes that this isn't how it's supposed to be, when the light bulb goes on and he realizes I created this mess. And he gets to that point, he gets to a difficult point, but it's an important one. He got to the point where the light bulb went on and he could acknowledge reality. I have sinned against heaven and you. I have not honored my father and I have not honored God. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your sons. My actions have made me lost. My actions have shown me to be lost. He says, treat me as one of your hired servants. Please show me mercy. And please show me grace, even though I don't deserve them. How does a father respond to a son who has done what he's done, who comes back like this? I mean, again, anybody hearing the story for the first time, they would already be aghast that the son asked for his inheritance, but they would be equally aghast that the father gave it to him. That would be, that would be unheard of. Well, this guy crazy? You should kick that kid out even for asking the question. So the fact that this is happening, the son comes back, anybody that would be hearing this for the first time, this kid deserves to be kicked out. You didn't kick him out the first time. You better do it now. You need to shut this one off. I cannot believe he is doing what he does. 
So that's what they would be expecting. How do, what does Jesus in the story say about how the father responds? Well, when the son arose, he came to his father. And while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. Put my ring on his hand and his shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, but he's alive again. And he was lost, but now he's found. We need to celebrate. Well, the son was a long way off. It says the father saw him and felt compassion. It gives the impression that the father was looking for the son. I mean, not that he was maybe on the front porch sitting there 24-7 doing nothing, looking down the road, but within all the servants that might have been on the property and the rest of the family, as they walked around, the father just kind of tended to always every once in a while, look down the road. Maybe when he was inside the kitchen, he would constantly just stare out the window, looking down the road. He was looking for somebody. He didn't have anger toward his son when he saw him. He didn't have speak judgment at him when he saw him. He didn't say, do you realize and, re and acknowledge everything you've done when he saw him? He didn't scoff and roll his eyes in exasperation at the nerve of this kid. No, he had compassion for him. He was moved in his heart for his son. And in his compassion, he ran to him. This father ran to him. Now, like I said, I love movies, I love shows, I love novels and things like that. They have a depth and kind of really touch on the human condition. And because I'm super into movies and things like that, I can get really nerded out about behind-the-scenes stuff. How movies are made and just hearing tidbits about what happened while things were filming. I, I get really nerdy about that stuff. And so one time I was reading this like list of like behind-the-scene things you never knew. Like kind of one of those Facebook waste of times. And I was going through them and one of the things that this particular list mentioned was that there was this tidbit where it talked about the show The Sopranos, and which is about, you know, this suburban mafia boss who's trying to come up with, deal with his life. Um, the character Tony Soprano in the very first pilot episode is shown grilling in his backyard wearing shorts. And so this was depicted in the very first episode. And as the story goes, after the episode aired, a couple, you know, I don't know if it was right after, a couple of episodes after, um, a leader of the actual mafia contacted the actor James Gaddafini, who played Tony Soprano. And so he gets this call, hello, yeah, this is James, and silence. Hello? Uh, hello? And then whoever was on the voice says, listen, we think you're a great actor, we like what you're doing, but you got to know one thing. A Don never wears shorts. Click. Wouldn't that be the creepiest thing in the entire world? You know, you're doing good, you're depicting things together, but the head of the family is not shown in shorts. There was another moment in the 90s, Princess Diana, this was well before she passed away, 
she was at an event with her son's school and they did this Mother's Day race. And all the moms get into this race and they're running. And Princess Di wouldn't do that because she's royalty. She's part of the royal family. Well, obviously she didn't. And as you're she get into the race, but she got into the race to win. They were talking about how competitive she was, and she was going for it. It was awesome. But the royal family was not too pleased with it because of how she broke royal decorum and protocol. That's not how the royal family acts around people. In the same way, the idea of a Middle Eastern distinguished patriarch who wears long robes, they don't run. It's a very slow, distinguished, respectful walk within the robes. And so running in robes? Never. There's a lot of, what are you doing in this story? That's not how it's supposed to be. And in the, their world, the way that father, this is not how fathers act. This is preposterous. What are you doing? But this is the father who's different. This is the father they're not used to. This is the father who runs to his lost children. This is the father that makes a beeline for them and embraces them and kisses them regardless of what they've done, regardless of where they've been, regardless of what happens. This is the father who runs to his children. And after embracing them and kissing them on the cheek, he says, bring the best robe and bring my ring and put it on him and give him new shoes. All the distinguished items in their culture to basically say he is fully reinstated in the family. And bring that calf that we've been holding off to for celebration because the celebration is here. It is time to celebrate. My son is home. The father that runs to his children. You need to know that is God the Father and how he looks at you. He is not one that stays at a distance. He is not one that scoffs at you. He is the God who will run toward you. It says in Ephesians 2, For God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. Zephaniah, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. 1 John 4, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I mean, this is the extent of God's love. John will say this, that God so loved the world that he gave his son to die in our place so that we would know eternal life. This is the beauty of God's love and the reason that we have these stories is so that we know God runs to us. He wants us to come home. He wants you to come home. That's what you were made for. You weren't made to be distant from him, but with him. You weren't made to be far off from him, but home with him. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. And so if you're in here today and you're thinking about your life, and we all can think about the depth of our life, 
man, there is stuff I don't want anybody here to know, you might think. Stuff from high school, man, if anybody that got out, if stuff from college, stuff after college, if you knew the thoughts, if you knew maybe some of the things I've done, we all have that in our story. Whatever the varying degrees are, we all have that in our story. And whatever those things that you think of that you wouldn't want anybody to be able to think of, God knows all of it perfectly and in detail. And he runs to you. And he loves you. You need to know that. There is nothing that you have done that would cause God to love you less. There is nothing that you have done that would cause God to pause his love for you. I mean, yeah, yeah, I love you, but hold on. There's no buts with the love of God. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you beyond what you can comprehend. And may that thought never become small in our minds and hearts. I mean, you you all heard Kale talk about the things he got from his wife's Bible study and hearing about how they titled. And I mean, he got kind of choked up a little bit when he was sharing it, right? Could you see that? Big guy got a little bit choked up. I'm not picking on him. May we all have that heart toward God's love. God, let me have a sensitivity and an appreciation for the fact that you love me. And for some of you, the idea of the father's son and hearing about a father like this, it's, you almost have the attitude about people who are hearing the story. Well, that's not how a father is. That's not what fathers do. That's not how it works. But that's how this father works. And, and again, that's not to minimize your experiences. That's not to say that they're not real. It's not to say that they're not painful. And many times they're really tragic. I'm not minimizing or erasing any of that. But what I'm saying is God is a different father. And he is the God that runs to you. And he is the God that loves you. He wants you to know that. And so if you're in here today and you think about that first story, don't miss the second story. Is that God loves fleeing kids. And he, ref- he will always welcome you back. He is running toward you. He wants you to turn and stop running away from him. He's the story of the running father. But that then leads to the last story. And the last story within this story is the story of the feet-planted and arms-crossed brother. The story of the feet-planted and arms-crossed brother. In the first service, there was somebody sitting up here that was just sitting like this, and I made that statement, and I saw him just go. (laughs) I totally started laughing. It was too good. It says in verse uh, 25, Now his older older son was in the field, and as the older son came and drew near to him, The son heard music and dancing, and the son called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to the son, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back and safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. 
This older brother, he heard the party, he heard the celebration. He didn't know what was going on. There was no invitations. There was no announcement. He just came back from whatever he was doing, and he was coming through the fields, and he heard it in the house, and it was like, what in the world is this? And when he heard it, what was going on, he wouldn't go any further. I mean, you can kind of see him walking through the field to come home and talking to the servant, and the servant says it, and he just goes, And you can just picture the scrawl on his face and just fuming and just feet planted, arms crossed. I'm not taking another step into that house. His story continues. His father came out and entreated him, talked to him, pleaded him, but the son answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Now, you hear this younger, older brother's gripes here, and you hear this interaction with the father. I want you to see some of the connections in the first story and the third story, the, or the, second, the previous stories in this one. The father saw this older son in the field the same way he saw the younger son in the field. The father came out to this older son the same way he came to this other one. This, the younger brother wanted his, was asking for what he thought was his due. I want my inheritance. The younger is saying, but you never gave me this. I want this. The younger brother was all selfish and all in the moment. I want to go party. I want to go celebrate. The older brother is, why didn't you give me something that I could have a party with my friends? Where the other son stood before him in repentance and contrition, this son stands before him now ticked off. I served you. I obeyed you. I've never done any of the, I've never done, you've never done any of this for me. Your other son squandered everything you gave him. And by the law of Deuteronomy, he should deserve the death penalty. But you celebrate him? You know, I I mentioned Jonah last week. And how Jonah didn't do what God told him, not because he was scared, but because he was angry and a jerk. And this older brother is acting very much like Jonah. At the end of Jonah's story, it says, Jonah, Jonah, this seemed very wrong to Jonah and he became angry and he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, while I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live. And the older son is saying the exact same thing. I cannot believe you would be gracious and compassionate to that son. I cannot believe that you would be slow to anger. Why aren't you angry? Why are you abounding in love rather than abounding in judgment toward him? Why are you relenting when he should be punished? I would rather stand out here by myself than go in there with you and him. The father says to him, Son, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost 
and is found. The father gently corrects this older son in a few different ways. He says, you are, you are always with me. We've always been together. You've always been in my presence. That's never changed. All that is mine is yours. No, I might not have given you a goat for a party, but don't let that fact this blind you to the fact of how much I have given you and what you do have and how I have provided for you and the work that I have given you and the life I have given you. Don't miss that because you didn't get a goat. It is fitting that we do this. The fact that we would celebrate like this is what we should be doing. To celebrate somebody who was doing that and is now in a new life, whose story was this and now they have a new story, that is a reason to celebrate. If there was ever a reason to have a celebration, your brother is a reason to have a celebration. Or this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Fathers want their sons to be found. Fathers don't want their kids to be lost. And check your heart, son, here, because you keep referring to him as my son. That's your brother. And he should have been celebrating with his father. He should have been coming in and saying and kissing his brother on the cheek and embracing him right with the father. The younger brother didn't realize the reality of his decisions and the older brother is no different. He is putting the emphasis on himself. He is seeing life selfishly from himself, but rather than just, hey, I want to go do whatever, he's saying, I have done this, I have earned this, give me what's mine. And he's trusting in himself rather than keeping his eyes on the Father. He should have been right there celebrating with him. But in essence, he's put himself into the same situation his brother found himself in. This older brother is as lost as the younger brother was. And he doesn't even realize it. And maybe the issue here is there's two big things to think about. The fact that he isn't realizing his own lostness, the fact that he isn't realizing the own state of who he is and who he is in relationship to the Father, but also the fact that he would look at somebody else and saying, you don't deserve this love. God, may we never be like that. God, challenge our hearts that we would never be like that. I say this all the time, you have never looked into the eyes of somebody that God does not love. And so you need to treat people that way. Because to treat them any differently is to treat them less than how God wants us to treat them. This is the story of the stubborn, arms folded, feet planted brother. There's three stories here. Which one did you need to hear this morning? Which of these stories within this story did you need to hear? Not just audibly, but hear. And maybe it's the first brother, maybe the, the younger one. Maybe it's the realization of life apart from God. And you might think that you have it all together, you might think that things are okay, but apart from God, we are broken. Apart from God, we are lost. Apart from God, we are not truly living the life we were created to live. And it's only when we find life in him do we truly live. And so maybe that's what you needed to hear. You know, not to look at the silliness of how some Christians act in the world and brush God off, not to see the failures that have happened in the church and brush God off. Those are all very real things. 
But seeing God for who he is and what he proclaims in his word and the life that he wants to give to us, I am so lost without him. And we all need to realize that. Maybe the thing, the story you needed to hear was of the father running because in your mind, you are alone in that lost place and no one would ever love you. Maybe there's voices from your past of the way people spoke words of judgment to you or rejection or ridicule or whatever that might be and you keep hearing those things whispering in your mind. Or the struggles that you have and the things that you wrestle with, the things that are, are really hard. Man, how could, how could anybody love me if they knew this? And maybe that's why you came in today was to hear that God loves you even within that. That God loves you beyond what you can comprehend. That he is a God that wants to remove shame and wants to remove guilt and wants to remove judgment. And he made it possible for us to have our sin healed and restored, which causes so many of those things. Now maybe that's why you needed to come in here today because you needed to hear not just a story, but the truth that there is a God and he loves you immensely and you just need to turn and stop running from him but run toward him. But maybe we came in here and we needed to hear the third brother's story. Because people are different from us, people voted different from us or different status in society, maybe think different things. It's, ah, can't be around those people. How could God, ugh, I'm glad I'm not like that. And we treat people and we look at people and we interact with people from a place of judgment that is so far from the reality of God's love that we really fail at representing him rather than showing them the love of God that we're empowered and given a mission to show. I mean, we're supposed to be the light of the world and bring the experience of God to the world and we bring the worst depictions of him sometimes because we move forward in judgment thinking of ourselves, rather than realizing all that we have is from God and who but for the grace of God go I. And when we truly realize that, we'll see people different. And so maybe you came in here today to hear that third story because your heart needed to be checked. We're going to end today by receiving communion to give you time to answer that question. Which one of these stories did you need to hear? And so if you're in here, to, if you don't have one of our little communion cups, could you just raise your hand and we'll have some people in the back who will pass them out? Um, we actually got a couple, so if anybody else could step back there to help, that would be great. Thanks. Yeah, just keep your hand up and we'll pass them out. If you're new with us and you've never done communion, we're going to take it all in a moment together, so just hold on to it. But there's two little flaps on the top of that cup. One of them has a clear flap. Uh, you pull that first one off first. That I'll give you to the delicious little wafer that's right there. Um, and then the other uh, um, flap. Add you one too. No, please, Gabby. Thank you. And then, uh, but again, don't open it yet. Hold off, and we'll receive communion together. We always take a moment, um, just a minute, to be quiet before the Lord to come to him in prayer, to we've fed on the word now. Okay, God, what did I need to hear from that? You know, and if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you've never put your faith in him, if you're not a follower of him, then communion is not for you. This is for somebody who follows Jesus to remember what he's done and the life we have in him. What you need to do is to spend this time coming to Jesus. And so maybe this is the time where you acknowledge that you are just like that younger brother 
that apart from God, you are lost and in a hopeless state, like we all are apart from Jesus, and that you need to turn back to God. You need to come to him, find life with him to be able to remember it next time. And if you have questions about that, if you want to uh, speak about that, I would love to talk with you and pray with you later. But we're going to take just a moment of quiet and then we'll receive communion together. So God, I pray you would speak to our hearts in the quietness of this minute. I pray that you would let us uh, bring our hearts to the attention, the details of these stories. Whichever one we need to just process and ponder, God, make that real. God, if there's anything we need to confess, if there's anything we need to be thankful for or speak to you, I pray you would hear us. But just move in this place, move in us at home. Let's just be quiet before him and then we'll receive communion in a moment. stand with me. Ephesians 2, but God is so rich in mercy that he lo- and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. First Peter, Christ suffered for our sins once for all. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. We've, we look at the, the wafer representing Jesus' body broken for us, the juice representing his blood shed for us, the fact that we deserve that death, but he took it upon himself, that he died for our sins so that we could be forgiven, taking our sin upon him and his righteousness upon us, and that we can have new life in him. He was dead in the grave and rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, victorious and asking us, inviting us into that victorious life. This is what we remember in communion. This is what we need to be reminded of, that we become forgetful of, that we have a risen Savior and life in him. So God, I pray that you would remind us of those truths. I pray you would remind us of who you are, who you are and who we are in you. We're grateful for your broken body done in our place, for your shed blood, for the forgiveness of our sins. God, we are grateful that you conquered sin, that you conquered death, that the tomb is empty. We are so grateful for this life. We are thankful that you are the Father who runs to us, who pursues us, who wants to be with us, who never pauses your love, your grace, or your mercy. 
God, I pray you forgive us for the times we are forgetful. Draw us to you constantly. And God, give us a hunger, a desire to share your love with others. We are grateful for all that you've done. This is what we try to remember, to refocus on, to recalibrate on. This is his body and his blood. We are grateful for him. Let's receive communion together. Jesus, we're grateful for your body. We're grateful for your blood. The empty tune, the fact that we have life in you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You can just hold on to these, and there's a garbage can right in the back as we leave in a moment, but we are going to end with this last song, so let's worship him together.